This is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. I'm Biddy Martin, president of Amherst College. In this episode, Chris Lehane, class of 1990, shares how friendship and fun in college contributed to his learning and growth. Friendship in and outside the classroom produced habits of mind that stick with him to this very day. Here's Chris. I've been involved in politics growing up in Maine, which is uh, where I spent a lot of my formative years. Uh, and then upon graduating from Amherst, continued to work uh, in politics on the Democratic side. Uh, went to law school at Harvard in the fall of 1991. And at the same time, I signed up to work for the campaign of a relatively young governor uh, from Arkansas by the name of uh, Bill Clinton. And um, as a result of, of Clinton uh, becoming President Clinton, uh, had the uh, incredible opportunity at a really young age uh, of going to work in the Clinton White House, uh, where I served as a special assistant counsel. I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. Chris Lehane is a political communications expert and current executive at Airbnb. After graduating from Amherst and receiving his JD from Harvard, he became a lawyer and spokesperson for the Clinton White House. After the campaign uh, in 2000, uh, my then fiance, uh, Andrea Evans, and I got married, landed on the East Coast, and decided to move to California, got in a car. Uh, with our dog, not sure whether we were going to San Francisco or L.A. I think about halfway through the trip, decided to head to San Francisco. And um, that's where we've really uh, made our home uh, since 2001. Chris went on to serve as counsel and advocate for an ever-expanding list of major names and political causes recently focusing on climate. He currently serves as Senior Vice President for Global Policy and Communications at Airbnb. A little background on myself. I graduated in 1990, proud member of the class of 90. Uh, I have an incredible family, wife, Andrea, two teenage boys. And given that they're teenage boys, they have uh, admonished me that I'm now allowed to invoke their specific names. I think my family, like so many others, have had the chance to, to live the American dream. My wife is a first generation immigrant to the country. My grandparents all immigrated to the country. And in particular, on my father's side, they immigrated to a city in northeastern Massachusetts called Lawrence, Massachusetts. For the British, this club is the last meeting place in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And Lawrence is really one of the birthplaces of organized labor uh, here in the United States. They all worked in those mills. This is Lawrence British Club of Lawrence, Massachusetts. Most of our members here come from Britain originally for the purpose years ago of textile mills. And uh, they all gathered here. You know, I do think it says something pretty incredible about this country that a generation and a half, maybe two generations later, they had a grandson uh, who was able to work at the White House uh, here in this country, go on to create his own firm. And now today, uh, I'm an executive in a very high profile tech company uh, called Airbnb. Chris grew up primarily in southern Maine, 
By proximity, Amherst entered his life at a young age. I do remember at some point, probably junior high, having gotten one of those um, three-quarter length sleeve baseball workout jerseys, shirts that uh, had Amherst College on it. But I think uh, college really broke into my consciousness, probably a junior, senior year of high school when I began to look around at colleges. And I remember getting uh, the catalog from Amherst. And I particularly remember that because I know my dad and I had a conversation about it. I think my dad, uh, who was someone who ran a daycare center in Portland, Maine, serving uh, kids who were typically uh, underserved in the area, uh, was very interested in, in Amherst. He had grown up in Massachusetts. I think from early on, uh, was gently trying to push me in that direction. But I understand this now as a father, not trying to push it too hard, because knowing that uh, the, the son would probably push back if it was pushed too hard, but, but gently always bringing it up to the, the top whenever we were having conversations about which colleges. Uh, I remember also at some point having a conversation with a retired Amherst, I believe must have been a history or political science professor. And I remember uh, having that conversation and being struck by the fact that we had a really interesting uh, and robust conversation about our different perspectives. And, you know, I was a senior in high school. Here was an esteemed professor uh, who was willing to really engage me in, in a back and forth. And I was really uh, intrigued by that. And then I remember uh, going and visiting the campus. I took the Peter Pan bus from the Portland uh, station all the way down to Amherst. And I remember getting off it, off the bus. It probably would have been at some point in the winter of 1986 and uh, spending a weekend at, at the campus. I remember for the first time going up to the War Memorial, seeing Memorial Hill. Uh, there was snow on the ground. It was cold, but just a stunning place and really began to think this could be a place where, where, I, could, where I could go. And go he did. Chris began at Amherst in 1986 pursuing a degree in history. Chris remembers his first day pretty clearly. I drove down from Maine with my parents, went across uh, Route 202 to Route 9. I think at some, uh, undoubtedly must have stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts because that was part of any trip that one would take at that point in time, particularly if you're from New England and in New England. My dorm room was in Morrow. I was really excited for that because I actually had a single growing up uh, in Maine. I had never had my own room. And so I was really excited to, to have a single room to myself. I remember we were met out front by our RA who helped us uh, bring our stuff up to the room. I also, and I, I laugh as I, as I recall, uh, I think the 1986 class may have been, don't hold me to this, but I believe it may have been the first class that was more or less required to have a computer uh, uh, as, as part of um, your supplies when you're at, uh, at the college. And I remember we had this enormous, everyone could buy this enormous IBM. It probably looks like a dinosaur today, but it was like the size of a television set. Uh, the equivalent of a server was built into it. You had the big floppy disks. You had those old printers that you sort of had to put on a spool, uh, printers that would never ever actually effectively work when you need, needed to print up a paper, especially when that paper was on a deadline. But I do remember bringing that all the way up. It was like two or three boxes that, for the computer to, <laughs> to, be, uh, to be transferred with and setting the computer up uh, uh, in Morrow. 
that that first day. I remember walking over to Converse, figured out where my mail was going to be. The uh, mail room used to be in that basement level of of Converse Hall. I also remember walking downtown uh, on Pleasant Street, going to the Fleet Bank, opening up uh, my bank account, and it was really an amazing time period. And that those first couple of days were just incredible. I had come from a main public school, a really good and decent main public school, but. The caliber uh, in, in terms of the, the, the students around me was just a totally different level. And I realized very quickly how hard I was going to need to work just to be able to keep up. But I also remember feeling incredibly energized by that and the realization that I was beginning a journey that would certainly take place over four years, but the journey that would go along beyond. I think consciously was even aware of that at that time, at that moment. And so my first day, first week, may have been a very, very, very small step uh, for Amherst College, but was most certainly a really, really big step for me. I very much wanted to compete when I was at Amherst, not compete in the sense of trying to get the best grades or better grades than classmates uh, or others, but really compete in the sense that I was at a four-year college, a really elite academic institution, and wanted to make sure I was giving it my all uh, and seeing how well I could do in such a milieu. The faculty at Amherst at the end of the day is what makes Amherst special. I think the faculty help inspire students. Uh, they give them uh, a goal and a North Star to aspire to. And I think in turn, students really attract the types of professors uh, faculty members who are incredibly dedicated and committing to teaching students uh, in the classroom. And I just go through professors who flashed to mind, but who really stuck with me over my professional career. Professor Tom Dum, political science professor that I had uh, for a couple of courses. There was also a great moment in his class that where we were doing a, uh, a little bit of how Congress really worked. There is the academic version of how Congress worked, which we certainly learned uh, in, in class. But then there was a real focus on how Congress, uh, in fact, worked more of the real politique element of it. And Professor Dunn uh, shared a, a story about E.G. Bud Schuster, a Republican, longtime Republican from Pennsylvania, who chaired the, uh, who ultimately was a powerful chair of the House Transportation Committee where he was able to uh, dole out very large amounts of federal money uh, to support transportation systems in Pennsylvania, and particularly in his district. And I remember uh, later on in the 90s, where I was actually in a, in a meeting with E.G. Bud Schuster, and thinking back to that class with Professor Dunn, uh, Professor Jan Desard, uh, where I took a course on uh, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa really stuck with me and uh, something I became really involved with both on campus <clears throat> at work in and around the anti-apartheid moment uh, movement, uh, which bore out uh, over the course by the end of my time at Amherst. And then later traveling to South Africa, uh, when Andrea, my wife and I got married, we chose South Africa as a honeymoon. But when I was in the Clinton White House, Al Gore had a commission with the vice president of South Africa. I do remember several trips we took in Gore's capacity overseeing that commission, which was really an effort to help support South Africa and the new government in South Africa. And I remember having 
the incredible honor of meeting Nelson Mandela. We were actually uh, a meeting that the vice president was doing with, with President Mandela, and it was really just supposed to be principle to principle. Well, I was just thinking about how important it is for me as a uh, relatively young man to make careful mental notes during uh, these uh, precious uh, moments with President Mandela. But I figured this was the only moment in my life that I was likely to ever have a chance to really meet Nelson Mandela personally. And so I remember coming up with some excuse that I needed to bring some information in to the vice president. And I walked into the room and I really took the opportunity to introduce myself to Nelson Mandela. And it sticks with me to this day. And I know full well that the vice president was looking at me and knowing exactly what I was doing, but but really appreciated that that he let me do that. Uh, one of the classes that has always stuck with me as well, a, a class that wasn't in my major, but a class that probably ended up having a bigger impact than I ever anticipated or thought at the time. And that was a film and writing class. And, you know, a quick story on that. I was doing one of my first political campaigns in well, as soon as I graduated from Amherst in 1990. And I was a field person, meaning uh, I was really just doing work uh, to help organize uh, different parts of the state of Maine. This was a gubernatorial election in Maine. And I remember it was a very close election. And there was a particular county where I believed that we needed to have a slightly different message. But the campaign really didn't have the time or bandwidth to be able to go produce a spot. And I remember as a uh, recent graduate of Amherst College, writing my first script, raising some money and getting it put on the air and writing that script really based on what I had learned in my junior year at Amherst in that film and writing uh, class. One of the things that struck me about Amherst is the understanding that uh, education, learning, school classes were much more than a transactional exercise, but were actually transformative. And hopefully you hear some of the excitement and enthusiasm that I had uh, for the courses at, at Amherst. And it really comes back to this idea that, that education could be really fun. And that also really extended to the student life experience. Now, this idea that you could learn as much outside of the classroom as you could in the classroom. Uh, played hoops my freshman year as a part of the JV team. Uh, got really involved in student government. Uh, was president of the college Democrats. Participated and helped uh, organize efforts to, uh, to support a soup kitchen in downtown Amherst that the college was involved with. Was active in the divestment movement in and around issues related to apartheid. But I would say that those extracurricular experiences really changed me. What you were talking about, in fact, in the classroom would extend well beyond the 50-minute class session or the two-hour seminar that you would end up having conversations about what you were learning about, what you were talking about in class with your fellow students outside of the classroom. And again, for me, particularly my freshman year, that, that was really uh, something that was new and different. I'd grown up uh, in an environment where it wasn't typical that Kids in high school would really talk about uh, interesting ideas, stuff that you were talking about in school really outside of the classroom. And so having the ability to really engage in curious intellectual conversations, uh, not in a classroom setting, was something that really struck me my, my freshman year. Coming to Amherst, I had really defined myself primarily through 
academics and sports. And at Amherst, I really had the opportunity to grow in different ways, take a step back and think about the fact that, you know, perhaps I could actually be someone who was more of an activist who could be involved in trying to engage in specific actions and activities that could have a broader impact, impacts on the community, impacts on the country, impacts on the world. I remember the time we had uh, then-Senator Joe Biden, now President-elect Joe Biden, and I'm guessing when people are actually hearing this, President Joe Biden. Uh, I had him out to speak at Amherst. This was shortly after the 1988 presidential campaign. He came out to Amherst. The college Dems sponsored him. He spoke at Johnson Chapel. And it was pretty amazing because Biden must have stayed there for three plus hours. We start off with what seemed like virtually the entire campus packed into Johnson Chapel. I remember giving a brief introduction. He came up and gave a speech, but then answered questions from the students for multiple hours, literally until there was no one left, at least no one left with with any questions. And I remember as he was talking, his aide was getting increasingly agitated because a storm was blowing in, a Northeaster was coming in, and that Northeaster ended up uh, shutting down Bradley Airport in Hartford, which is where uh, then-Senator Biden had flown into and was scheduled to fly out from. And so as the evening wrapped up, again, three plus hours in is what I remember, and uh, Biden came off stage, and I was there, and his aide was there, and his aide informed him that they weren't going to be able to fly out. And Biden, without missing a beat, turns to me and says, great, let's go get some pizza and we'll hang out. And I remember we we got pizza. We went back to uh, our uh, dorm room. A group of my uh, uh, roommates were with us. And we literally just had a bowl session with a sitting U.S. senator for multiple hours over pizza until the um, Bradley Airport reopened. And one of my roommates uh, actually ended up driving uh, the Senator Biden to the Bradley Airport so that they could get uh, return. But it was an amazing moment that at that young of an age to be having that type of an interaction and engagement with Senator Biden. But also, he was just so incredibly authentic and pretty amazing to see him now going into the White House and watched how he campaigned and conducted himself over the course of the campaign. I go back to that time in 1988, and our takeaway was that he was just such an inherently decent, likable person. I got the chance to interact with Senator Biden multiple times when I was in the Clinton White House and at other points over my career in a very different setting. But he almost unfailingly always reminded me of that night and early morning at Amherst. And I always remember him as this incredibly decent person. You know, that bowl session that uh, we had with Senator Biden not that particular one, although that one was exceptionally memorable, but just those sessions that would take place with our roommates is something that really does stick with me. I think it was something I really enjoyed over our four years. Uh, one of our favorite topics was to come up with our top five. We would be sitting there you know, late at night and one of us would say top five leaders or top five historical moments uh, and top five religious uh, leaders. And we would then have a debate uh, to name our top five. 
as I say this, I realize that this was probably an incredibly geeky thing to do. It maybe a type of thing that you would only do in a place like Amherst, but we still do this to the day. We will sometimes get a text messaging going on it. When we're together, we'll do it. And it's just something that has uh, we've continued to do as, as a group. Whether from classes, sit-downs with future presidents, or bull sessions with friends, echoes of Amherst can be heard throughout Chris's life, even during the early days of COVID. At Airbnb, where we are a travel company, uh, dealing with a pandemic was a particular existential uh, challenge for, for us as a, as a company. And I had a team of several hundred people really spread out around the world. And like I think so many other people at that particular moment really felt like we were in free fall and it was unclear what was going to come next. I remember I needed to give a talk to the team. And as I was thinking about what I was going to say, I did have this moment where I flashed back to evening bowl sessions where we would sometimes uh, talk about what it must have been like to have lived through a big historical moment, uh, a moment like Second World War or the Civil Rights era, and how we would have acted and responded uh, to having lived through something like that. And of course, when you're having that conversation as a young person, you presuppose that uh, you both would have survived that moment, uh, but also uh, made the right decisions and and really uh, rose to the moment uh, by making the right decisions, you know, based on values and the application of those values to the people and entities that were going to be impacted by them. Those are the types of conversations that you you have at, at a place like like Amherst, because you're being taught about these moments in the classroom in a way where you really do think about the consequences and the importance of of values. Uh, in decision-making in, from a historical perspective and historical context. And so I really had evening bull sessions in my head uh, when I stood up to, to address the team. And I remember talking with them about the fact that we were all going through an historical moment. We did not have any idea of what was going to come next or where it was going to go. We certainly did not have a playbook for how to move forward. But I did say that, you know, at some point we'll get through this and then we will look back collectively as a team. Uh, We'll look back as individuals and really want to be able to answer the question in the affirmative of whether we met the moment, rose to the moment, even exceeded the moment in terms of how we acted and, and conducted ourselves. And so I really do connect that conversation in the context of this pandemic back to my time at Amherst. And as we went forward over the course of the pandemic, that decision-making framework really did serve us well uh, as a team, as a company. Chris took those casual moments of conversation, those bull sessions, and used them as a reminder to look ahead toward the future. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm an optimist. And as I look around at the folks that I manage, my workforce's average age is about 28, 29. Um, so a millennial workforce. I look at my two sons uh, who are teenagers, Gen Z. Uh, I'm incredibly moved by the fact that this, these are generations 
that really do value uh, an open world. I think the changes that we saw this past June were a function uh, of that generation's, of those generations' values and belief systems. And so, you know, ultimately, I do feel really positive uh, about where we're going to be going. Uh, and I say that, though, with, with the recognition that, as Martin Luther King said, while the arc of history um, certainly bends towards justice, history makes pretty clear that there are moments when we take steps back. Uh, I hope that this is an inflection moment where we actually accelerate the, the bending uh, of, of the arc of history towards justice, towards equality. It was amazing to see Woodrow Wilson removed from Princeton. You saw statues toppled, the Mississippi flag come down, uh, Black Lives Matter rise. All of that happened in the course of about 30 days. Now, it was the consequence of a series of actions of Breonna Taylor, obviously George Floyd, so many others that were echoes over 400 years, dating back to 1619. And in that moment, in those 30 days, you really did see a fundamental uh, shift in the tectonic plates here. The force that causes a shift in tectonic plates, that pressure that bends the arc of history toward justice, comes from the work of ordinary people. I came into Amherst not necessarily thinking that one could live a life of consequence, and I left Amherst knowing that one was in fact going to live a life of consequence. And that is all attributable to what I learned at Amherst College. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. A production of Amherst College in association with Cadence 13. Narrated by me, Jeffrey Wright. Executive produced by Biddy Martin, Ian Mont, and Rebecca Kennedy. Produced by Catherine Duke, Bette Schumacher, and Sandy Janelius. Written, directed, edited, and mastered by Ian Mont. Technical and equipment support by Sean Cherry. Creative consultation by Catherine Duke, Carly Nardowitz, Connolly Stokes-Buckles, and Molly Whalen. Music from Source Audio and Extreme Music.